welcome to Sunlight Christian Center, located in downtown Orange. Let's join Pastor Joe and the worship service in progress. We give honor to God's Word. It's what guides us. It is what leads us. It is what blesses us. When we're down and we need a lift, it's His Word that we go to. When we're hurting and we need a healing, it's His Word. Because there's power in His Word. There's freedom in His Word. 230 years ago, our forefathers hammered out a way of life that we understand now as the American way of life. And it was at a great cost. There's always been an enemy to fight. And when you want to keep the freedom that you have, you got to pay the price. And all through those 230 years, there have been many battles that were fought in order to ensure freedom. Today we fight a different kind of a battle. It's a strange battle. It's a battle where the enemy is invisible. You don't know who the terrorist is. It could be anybody. But it still costs the same. It costs in blood, sweat, tears, money, lives, determination. It's a cost. It's a heavy cost. 2,000 years ago, God hammered out freedom for us at Calvary when it cost him his son. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him so that we could have freedom. But what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is what God did 4,000 years ago when God called a man in a wilderness and he said, I want you to go and I want you to confront the mightiest nation on earth, the superpower of its day, and I want you to tell its king to let my people go. They're my people. And Pharaoh has no right to enslave my people. So I'm putting you on an assignment. I'm sending you out and I'm telling you to tell him, let my people go. They're not your people. They're my people. And I want them to be free. And in Exodus, the third chapter, we have the account of God calling Moses out of a burning bush and his voice spoke out of this bush and said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you're on is holy ground. And God told him what he wanted him to do. And then God gives him a P.S. And the 19th verse of the third chapter is God's P.S. He says, by the way, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Now when you read this in the, king, in, 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 in the New King James, uh, it, it sounds as if God was pretty sure about this, but there's some things he's not sure about. And so we can get kind of confused by the language. Sometimes the, the translation can be a little confusing and make us think, well, well, this time God was really sure. The truth is that when you go into the original language, it says this, and I know the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. This man has no intention of letting my people go. He's got a grip on them and they are economically blessing his nation and he refuses to let go 
of his economy. And so he will refuse. This passage of scripture teaches us something about God. God does not need ideal conditions from which to operate. It does not matter to God. It does not matter to God if we are ideal people. Besides that, did you ever, ever, did he ever have an ideal person to work with? God doesn't need ideal people. He doesn't need an ideal church. He doesn't need an ideal preacher. He doesn't need ideal circumstances. He doesn't need ideal situations. All God's got is us and us is not ideal. And God says, it doesn't matter. I'm just telling you that I don't need the king to go along with the program in order for me to let my people go. This passage teaches us that God will work even with somebody who says no. I remember years ago I read a book entitled, The Sale Doesn't Begin Until the Customer Says No. When the customer says no, then you got yourself a situation where you can get a sale. And God is telling, Moses said, Pharaoh is going to say no. And it's such a strong no that even a mighty hand will not be able to dislodge him from his... So in verse 20 it says, so I will stretch out my, say my, my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders. Do you, do you have something that you need to put in God's hand? Something that's out of control? Something that you can't control? A set of circumstances that are hopeless. Because that's what's telling That's what God is telling Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt and I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, let my people go, but he will not let you go. Not even with a mighty hand. So I'm going to put my hand, I'm going to put my hand on him. I got some things that only God's hand can handle. Have you ever said, if I just get my hands on him, if I could could just get my, give me five minutes, if I could just get, says some things that we need to, let God put his hands and you know the only way you can let God put his hands on something is if you let go because this is a tug of war going on we're holding on to it and God's holding on to it and we're holding on to it and God's it's like you know like like you're a pilot in a ship and and uh, and you got you got the helm in your hand and you say Lord I'm turning control over to you take over the helm I just want this rung over here. <laughs> I just want to, and God said, no, if you're going to give me control, I got to have control of the whole thing. I just want this little one piece. Put it in God's hands. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, After I get through with him, after I put my hand in it, after you've let your hand off it, after I've done what I can do, he will let you go. Now the part about this passage of scripture that bothers me is after that. Whenever I see after in scripture, I say, oh Lord. How many times do we run into the word after? After God gets through, but Lord, how long will it take after God has two kinds of speeds. He has fast and he has slow. When he said in creation, let there be light, there was light. 
When we come before the Lord and we need to be saved and we, we stand before the Lord here at an altar or kneel by our bedside or, or, or say the sinner's prayer with somebody at a restaurant or even in our car and we say, Jesus, I believe in you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be. It's fast. The slow part of God's work is the part where he starts to sanctify us. Slowly working into us his will. And it takes time. And it's after. There are things that God is doing in our lives and God wants to bring deliverance in our lives but the deliverance comes, it comes in pieces. It comes day by day and moment by moment and hill by hill and agonizing trial by agonizing. And sometimes we don't see the progress because all we see is the hurt and the confusion and the pain, the blood, the sweat and the tears. But if you work with him, keep working with him because after you will have the freedom that he promised. He says, and after that, he will. You know what's interesting about this? He will, the one who says no will say yes. Because when you put it in God's hands, it's amazing what God can do. The one who is blocking your progress, he's standing right there, blocking, he's he's the one that's going to step aside and let God's work be done. The one who's shouting no will be shouting yes. The one who is holding on is the one that will let go. He will. God, when God gets through, he will. And since then they might, he will. God has a blessing for us. God has freedom for us. And God says that after he gets through doing what he needs to do, he will. He will. Freedom will come. Now, I was looking at this passage and... God is speaking to Moses. Moses is still at the burning bush and God is speaking to him and God is giving him his instructions. And, and he, the only, Moses, all he had to work with was slaves. That's what they were. Slaves. That meant that all they knew, all their lives, they knew, they knew how to make brick, bake brick, carry brick, put brick in place, cement the brick. All they knew was Slavery. That was their beginning. That's what God had to work with. And when God found us, and many times what God has found when he found us, he found some people trapped in the system. That was the beginning. That was our beginning. That's where we started. Trapped. Trapped at a system where we couldn't get off. It was just like trapped. I'm trapped. Because like the slaves are going around in circles. I wish they could get out. You, you, you know that they were praying that they could get out. And you know they were saying if there was only some way that I could get out. But they were trapped. They were trapped. They couldn't get out. That's where God found us. Trapped. Some of us were trapped in addictions. Trapped by criticisms. What other people were thinking, what other people were saying was, was stinging and hurting, but there was nothing that we could do. We didn't know how we could somehow shake it off. I just wish I could just shake. I want freedom, but I don't know how to get the freedom. I just don't want to be bound anymore by this ridicule, but i trapped. And I want to tell you something. Being trapped can be so insidious. And sometimes we think in in gross terms, we think, well, he was trapped, he had a habit and he couldn't break it. Yeah, that's true. That's trapped. That's trapped. 
I remember reading one time about a woman who went down to the bakery and she wanted to buy a pie for her husband because it was his birthday. And she said, what kind of pies do you have? And she said, it's my husband's birthday and I was just looking for a pie. And the one behind the counter said, pie? You don't use pies on a birthday. You use cake. She said, I know, but my husband loves pies. And it's his birthday. I just wanted to get him something that he... That he who ever heard of pies at a birthday? And so this woman got a cake for her husband who likes pies. And it was his birthday. But it was her criticism that had her bound, trapped in the system of tradition. Sometimes we need to examine, we got to take a good look at what it is that we have surrounded ourselves with because we just may find ourselves trapped in a tradition that needs to be broken and we just, Lord, help me to see. Why should I be stuck here when there's a whole world of freedom and if you could only open up my eyes, Lord, when God was working with the children of Israel, they were in slavery. When God found you, what were you in that God had to get you out of? Where, where did we start? I mean, if you look back, if, we, if you go back to wherever your start was, where, where I, I, when I think about starting, I think back the days of poverty because I, I recognize them. I, I look at the pictures. In fact, Nancy Ann was putting some pictures together for my mother. She's just going to send her a slide show. And, and we're looking at the pictures again of, of the tenement house that I lived in and the roof that I spend so many so much of my time at that wall-to-wall poverty. On Thanksgiving, my mother didn't get a turkey. She got a meatloaf and stuck a feather in it. That was, that was the Thanksgiving. I mean, wall-to-wall, hand-me-downs. I mean, that was the, the, we had a tub in the kitchen, and the tub served as a, as, a, as a table with a top on top so that we put our chairs next to the tub because the tub was up high, and that became, and I'm, I think about that, oh, man, my beginning was poverty. That's what God had to work with. What did he have to work with when he started with you? What was the beginning? I remember that when my dad died, my mother went on to welfare, and so she had four children to raise in two and a half rooms, and, and, and she breathed into us our instructions. The day is going to come when we'll be able to get jobs, and we won't have to be on the welfare anymore. I thank God for the welfare. If it wasn't for the welfare, I don't know what we would have done. But the day, my mother would tell us, the day is going to come when you won't have to be under welfare. You can get a job and we can break out of this thing. That was the beginning. That's what God had to work with. When God started, Moses was a murderer. That's what he started with. It's a good thing we didn't put it out to a committee. Now, we got to pick a man. Now, we got to pick a man to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What kind of a man should we go? Well, we should be, and maybe he should have. And, and let's look at his credentials. And God picked a murderer, a failure, a loser. That's what he started with. What did God start with when he found us, when he found you? God has something to say about our ending he knows what our beginning was, but he has something to say that's significant 
about the end. So, so many times we spend all of our lives thinking about the beginning, the beginning, the beginning. This is what it was, this is what it was. And, and the, the beginning has a way of latching itself and attaching itself to our presence so that we can never let go of it, never let, never be free. I need to be free of my beginning so I can get on into my future. And God's got some words for us in order to help us break the hold of our past. And he wants to whisper into our ears something about our ending. He wants to tell us something about the end of the story. He has turned my mourning into dancing. I know what my beginning was. My beginning was mourning. Yes, I was crying. I was crying the blues. I was hurting. I was depressed. But he wants to turn it. He says, he whispers in the way, I want, I want to turn your mourning into dancing. I want to teach you a dance step. He speaks to us. He speaks to us. If you, it, that's why I, I appreciate the word, the, the song that Eileen sang. Uh, this morning his word it's his word when his word comes his word speaks to the ending his word speaks to the blessing his word speaks to the freedom his word speaks to the encouragement his word speaks to pick us up that's what his word comes to do he already knows the, the beginning it's the ending that he wants to breathe into us. Weeping may endure for the night. That was the beginning. But joy comes in the morning. That's the end. But that seems a little strange. Wait, wait, wait. Weeping may endure for the night, but wait, the night's the end. And joy comes in the morning. The morning, that's the beginning. Wait a minute, Pastor Joe. You got it wrong. It's the, it's, God wants to speak to the, mo- wait, the beginning. Weeping may endure for the night, and we don't realize that that night was the beginning. Because we were the children of darkness, we walked in the dark. That's what, and then God called us out of the dark into his marvelous light. The light is the end. Our beginning was darkness. And we have a tendency of getting the beginning and the ending mixed up. I'll show you what I mean. During creation, it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And we look at that and we don't, we don't mind, it, it doesn't bother us anymore. But if you really look at that phrase, it's like, whoa. <laughs> with the evening and the morning, with, no, no, no. The morning and the evening were the first day. The morning, it's the morning, that's what begins in the And God says, no, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning was the third day. The, what, they got it backwards. God got it backwards. Is it possible that maybe we got it backwards? <laughs> that maybe God knows what he's doing. <laughs> but, but we, because of our traditions and because of the way we see things, we, we got it backwards. We, we see the, the morning and the evening as the first day. But God says, no, the evening and the morning was the first day. What, what they were looking, they, they crucified Jesus. He was there on a cross and, and he's dead. And they say, that's the end. And they took him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. And they said, that's the end. But it looks like it's the end. It sounded like it was the end. But that was the beginning. If you want to see the end, you got to fast forward it to early Sunday morning. Fast forward it to a rolling stone. Fast forward it to an angel that says, he is not here. He is risen just like he said. 
And you discover that the beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning. Wait a minute, when Jesus died, that was the beginning. When he was resurrected from the dead, that was the beginning. That was the, 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 the end of the story, and so now I am attached to. And God wants to whisper into our ears our end. Because he has a blessing plan for us. He knows what the beginning is. You know what your beginning was. God has a surprise end for us. Let's take a look at the end. Verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. God just got through telling Moses that, that Pharaoh's going to say no. And there's going to be trouble. And it's not going to be as easy as you think. And I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. This is going to be a difficult assignment. And God says, well, let me whisper into your ear the end. The end is, I will put favor in the hearts of people who have disfavor. I will put yes in the mouth of people who are saying no. I will, I will give you favor. We're people, we need, Lord, give me favor in my job. Give me favor in my best. We don't have control. There's so much that we don't have control over. We need God's help. That's why we come to church. Says, Lord, I need your help. I need, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your help. Because if, if I didn't need your help, I wouldn't be here. But I do need your help. That's why I'm here. I need your favor. And God can open up doors that you could never, ever open. He could whisper into people's ears things you could never, ever say. He can give you favor in places you could never ever go. He can give you favor with your job. He can give you favor with your boss. He can give you favor in your circumstances. He can open up doors. He can move mountains. He can give us. And he's telling us, he said, I want you to see your end. Your end is favor. I will. I'm not asking you to do it. Because when it comes to favor, I can't create it. I can't create favor. This is something that God does. Lord, while I'm sleeping, you're, you're speaking. While I'm hurting you're working while it's night you're still in doing your thing and he says I will he said I'm gonna put my hands on it. just let go of yours I will I'll give you favor with the Egyptians and it shall be when you go and this is this is you got to understand this as sarcastic and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed your slaves you got nothing. You got nothing. But when you go, let me whisper into your ear your end. You will not go empty-handed. You will sack. If you read the next verse, you will plunder the nation of Egypt. I'm going to have you, you, you go to your neighbors and I'm going to ask you to, to ask them. By the way, there's a mistranslation of scripture where it says borrow. God is not asking them to borrow jewelry from the neighbors. He's telling them to ask for jewelry. He wasn't deceiving anybody. Ask for jewelry. And when you leave, you will leave Egypt with their economy. You will not leave empty-handed. It will be pressed down, shaken together, and running. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless. Say this word with me. No, don't say I will bless you. Say this. Bless me. Bless me. You know, we have a tendency that, you know, to hesitate towards saying it because it doesn't sound spiritual. When I come forward, Lord, I say, bless me, Lord, bless me. Because it sounds more spiritual for me to say, bless you. If you sneeze, I say, bless you. God bless you. 
But it sounds kind of weird if I say, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless my family, bless my kids, bless my job, bless my finances, bless me, bless me. It's, this is the passage that gives us the right to say, Lord, bless me. I need a blessing. And God says, I won't, you, you won't walk away empty-handed. I'll bless you. You know the problem when we hear God's word? The problem is that there is, not maybe not in you, there is a skeptical part in us. And this skeptical part in us has to handle what God just said to us. Right? And, and, and this, this skeptical, this, this skeptical part, Lord, Lord, I know you said you're going to bless me, but I ain't got nothing in my pocket. <laughs> Pardon me if I'm a little skeptical about this, because it doesn't seem like anything's been happening for the last. There's that part inside of us that's skeptical. God comes to us with, with a wonderful blessing, overwhelming, and I will greatly bless you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You will not leave empty-handed. I'll give you favor in the minds and the hearts of the people that don't like you. And we say, Lord, I want to believe. I want to believe everything that you just said. I want to believe. But there's a part of me, Lord, that's got a problem with what you just said. I just, I, you know, I, I, it's, 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 it's like, what God says clashes with what I'm thinking. God tells me something like, and my skeptical part says, that's what I heard. God says something wonderful. And my skeptical part You know why? Because God's word is positive. I did hear a positive word. I heard it. I heard the blessing. But I feel the defeat. That's why we're skeptical. I heard, I heard God say, seek me first. And all these things shall be added unto you. I heard it, but I feel. I doubt it. I, I, for, for Billy Graham, yes. For Mother Teresa. For Reverend Shula. <laughs> Isn't there this skeptical part inside of us that got a problem with what it is that God says to us? I, it's not like I didn't hear it. I heard, I heard him say, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and run. I heard it, but I feel so far removed from what I heard. And so there's a war going on inside. You've been listening to Pastor Joe at Sunlight Christian Center. We are located in beautiful downtown Orange, just one block north of the Chapman Circle at 172 North Glissell Street.